Welcome to the party, pals. I'm Phil Gawthorne, action movie screenwriter. And I'm Liam Billingham, movie podcaster. And together we host Die Hard on a Blank, a podcast from Sugar23 that explores the influence of Die Hard on action cinema. In each episode, we'll talk about one major action movie that was released after Die Hard. Now, some of these movies take place on a bus. On a boat. Or even a roadhouse. Uh, sure. The point is, these are action movies that couldn't exist without Die Hard, and its DNA is everywhere. Die Hard on a Blank is a celebration of action movies and a deep dive into the ways that Die Hard shaped the action genre. So if you're a casual fan or an action movie Die Hard. Ooh, very nice. Then Die Hard on a Blank is for you. Yes, you personally. Our first two episodes, which are all about the original 1988 masterpiece Die Hard, drop December 21st, because Die Hard is a Christmas movie, wherever you get your podcasts. Phil, do the line. Now we have a podcast. (laughs) Ho, ho, ho. Hello, everybody. This is Liam. Before we jump into this week's episode on John Patrick Shanley's Doubt, starring Philip Seymour Hoffman and co-hosted by Caitlin May Burke, I wanted to let you know that we are aware that today is Monday. It's not Wednesday. Usually we drop our episodes on Wednesdays, but we wanted to drop this one a little early, and that's because Caitlin May Burke, our co-host, and Mark Pagan, who co-hosted our episode on Along Came Polly, do a show called Other Men Need Help. And tomorrow, October 8th, from 6.30 to 8.30, they're doing a show at Caveat in Manhattan. Join host and producer Mark Pagan of the award-winning podcast Other Men Need Help and some very talented friends as they share stories, secrets, songs, and surprises about the ways they've avoided accountability, clung to power, masked insecurities, and quietly screamed for connection. Um, There's going to be some guests, Gaster Almonte, Elna Baker, Henry Alford, and a few others are going to be there. It's a $10 event. It's going to be great. Mark always puts on a good show. Caitlin and Mark are two of our favorite human beings in the whole world, and we wanted to get this out so that we could point a few in the direction. I will say, honestly, and I've said this before, that the way that we talk about these films um, and the way that we try to look at these films has definitely been influenced by the show that Caitlin and Mark do, so we hope you can make that event. That's really it. Tomorrow, uh, October 8th at 6.30, the link to the Eventbrite will be in the notes for this episode. And also, there'll be a link to an event at uh, Brick, which is in downtown Brooklyn on October 18th. They're going to present a live episode of Other Men Need Help. So lots of cool opportunities to see them do their incredible work. Uh, That's just about it. Uh, Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Um, we are really excited about the way the show has grown over the past couple seasons, and, and we want to continue to grow. Um, upcoming episodes include our episode on Jack Goes Boating, which is a film Philip Seymour Hoffman directed and starred in. And we're gonna looks like we're gonna have a very great co-host in Adam Shartoff of Film Wax Radio. If you've never listened to Film Wax Radio, check it out. After we do that episode, George and I are going to return to the original format, just the two of us, to talk about Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master, starring Philip Seymour Hoffman. We're coming to the end of the the Hoffman run, and um, there's a lot of controversy between George and I about the master so I thought we would just duke it out maybe we'll get a co-host to like a friendly co-host who can help us out I don't know but that's coming up that's it
we hope you enjoy this episode. This is a long intro. I apologize. Without further ado, here's more of me plus George and Caitlin. Enjoy. I'm Liam Billingham. I'm George Fragopoulos. I'm Caitlin May Burke. <gasps> <gasps> and this is... You have to say that. Oof, Busters. <laughs> I have, I have to tell you. Talk about these beautiful uh, candles yeah, so that we have here. Caitlin, <laughs> what are we looking at here? Okay, so I set the scene. Um, I'm gonna take a picture of it. I have uh, a lot of dollar store and grocery and bodega, like 35 hour devotional candles. They're beautiful. And so for tonight, I have a whole collection of them that's like behind oh, George. Yeah, you do. yeah, I have a whole bunch. I'm like really serious about this. But I, these really are selected because we have, um, as you will recall in the film, when she puts up the picture of the Pope mm-hmm. and yes. Amy Adams says that's the wrong Pope, um, <laughs> we have the correct Pope. We, we have do. John Paul II. Yeah. Oh, very good. Um, we have one that had a wick long enough that I could light it. <laughs> and also St. Clair, who is the patron saint of television, and I ah. felt like maybe she could also be new. There's a patron saint of television? Yes. That's pretty badass, yeah. actually. Um, and you're saying she could also be the, yeah, the patron saint of podcasting. Yeah. Why not? But why would we want candles that have devotional elements on them? Because what we're moves? discussing... Good luck! Doubt from 2008, starring, of course... Meryl Streep. It's Meryl Streep. <laughs> Amy, Amy Adams. Amy Adams. And Phyllis Seymour Hoffman. This for me, by the way, was a surprising Amy Adamsing. Like, I did not realize that she was in this film. And they then I was did like, a lot She's of on movies the together. Poster. She did a lot of movies together. A lot yes. of movies. Directed by John Patrick Shanley. Directed and written by John Patrick Shanley. Yes. Based on his play, his Doubt a Parable. Parable, which I really want to talk about that title. Yeah. And it's being redone. It's getting staged no. next year. Oh, all right. I thought you meant the film I was think getting... It's coming, no, they, yeah, they're, make, they're remaking the movie so. with Jonah Hill. <laughs> Not a good look. Um, yeah, they're doing it again this year. The play. They're doing the play again this I year. I would definitely love to see that. Would you? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Why did you not? Okay, well maybe no, we just no, quickly no, go no, around. No, did you no, not no, enjoy no, this? No, no. Well, let's kind of, let's talk about what the what happens in the movie first. Okay. You very, know how this show goes, Caitlin. I'm sorry. You have to <laughs> it's fine. I don't. I just keep talking on top of everyone. <laughs> you haven't talked on top of anyone. I'm the guest. Turning the yes. mic. <laughs> I have some things to say to you people. Very quickly, this film um, yeah. is about uh, Father Flynn, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Played by Brian F. O'Byrne on stage, who, if you know as an actor, is a really wonderful exception. No idea actor. who he is. You've seen him in um, a bunch of things. <laughs> okay. You just don't know who he is. Who you're a Philistine. Um, is accused of inappropriate, uh, obviously, pedophilic behavior towards a student by Meryl Streep's character, Sister Aloysius. Played by Sherry Jones on stage, who is best known as being probably the sheriff in the movie Signs? Starring Mel Gibbs. It has been a while since I've seen Signs. But she's a big stage actress. Got started and busted. And Amy Adams, who plays Sister... God, we're blanking on her name now. Thank you. Sister James. The film is dedicated to Sister James. Yeah, it's kind of caught in between. She doesn't know who's right, who's wrong. And basically the film is about whether or not, in fact, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is... Uh, doing something terribly inappropriate with this child. And they were all nominated for Oscars for yes, this movie. They were inc- Plus, they're incredible. Viola Davis, who might be the best thing about the entire movie. Yeah. Oh, I mean... Has I, one incredible scene. I, yeah, she's incredible in the scene she's in, of course. Yes. But I felt like, you know, she's just in that one scene. Yeah, but she is amazing. She's it? amazing in it. No, of course. They're all amazing. Um, mm-hmm. So worth noting, the original play, uh, there was no one but the four people. There, no, there was no one but the four 
characters. So Sister yes. Aloysius, Sister James, Father Flynn, and Viola Davis's character, whose name escapes me. Do you remember her name? Uh, Mrs. Miller. Mrs. Yeah, Miller. So the, the boys, the, the boys Donald Miller. The play. And the, um, the other boys. Alice from Ghostbusters is not in the play. <laughs> and it's also very important to point this out that the boy is African-American, which yes. obviously adds like another kind of dimension mm-hmm. to the um, what, uh, what unfolds. And, the, and it takes place in 1964. In the Bronx. Yeah. Yes. The Boogie Down. The bo- as we call it here in New York. <laughs> Which I think they it, refer to it. generally refer to it as the Boogie well, Down? Well, Amy Adams says it a couple of times in the film, doesn't she? Like, <laughs> like, this is how things happen in the Boogie Down. When she flips her chair backwards and yeah. tries to like really relate <laughs> yeah, to the exactly. young like, like, Irish and Italian Catholic kids. Throwing a baseball in the air. She's like, hey, kids. Um, it's, just, it's just Michelle yeah. Pfeiffer. Let's Who wrap. Yeah, in Dangerous Minds, of course. Has Catholic, is Catholic or has a Catholic associations? Two We're or three. People so raising their the hands on a podcast. Not raise the, uh, their hands. And listen, I'm not trying to exclude you, but I think it's a valuable thing to go I'm out the gate because down. I had uh, you have a very <laughs> I had a very visceral uh, reaction to the Catholicism in this movie. Did you guys like? Did you wanted to ask about liking it? Did you like? I it? I love this movie. Oh wow! Yeah. I did not. Wow! I did not expect this. Really? Yeah, I thought it was like one of those incredibly just well crafted like Hollywood films, and I was like, wow, this film because of the performances because they all are fucking amazing. In okay. It. So whenever any of them are on the screen, Viola Davis, Meryl Streep, Amy Adams, Philip Seymour Hoffman, of course. The doubt when the doubt sounds. <laughs> all, the doubt, oh, all about the doubt, which is really funny that Liam says that too because for a really long time I like sincerely kept texting him like, oh, when are we doing Faith? I really thought the film was called Faith. He's like, George, Terrible it's doubt. Title. I was like, oh, yeah, of course. And um, then like two or three days later, I was like, so Faith after Jack goes boating? Before? I'm not exactly sure. He's which like, film are we talking about? I think it's um, called Doubt. Keeping the Faith? So I, I really enjoyed it. Caitlin? I saw this in theaters in 2003 with my mom during Christmas, who is my Jewish parent, not my Catholic parent. Right. And uh, rewatched it this weekend. And I thought... I remembered how I felt about it, and I think that I have uh, maintained that conviction that it's a play and not a movie. Oh, this is interesting. So I enjoyed the performances. It yeah. in like over the passage of time, I had a totally different emotional response to it, um, and I. But I really felt that this is something that is like very written for the stage and very stagey, and a lot of like there's a lot of attempts to make it more visual that I think are really flat. Such as? I just think it's like, it's wow. such a chamber piece that I like, yeah. every time they start mm-hmm. talking, I'm like, oh yeah, well you just move to the other part and then like the lights came up on the part yeah. that's the office. Yeah. It doesn't have to, like there really isn't that much action. There isn't, there isn't that much staging. Um, yes. And this, uh, okay. So I, this is interesting. So I, I teetered between like really loving it, like loving things about it. And also, literally a few times, like, going, like, ugh. <laughs> and a couple of things that I went, ugh, at were the moment when she's, like, I forget exactly how it happens, but it's, like, sometimes it takes a cat to catch a whatever. Oh, no, that and was like, really heavy-handed, yeah. Jesus yes. Christ, maybe this worked in a play, but, like, it doesn't... I just felt like it was overwrought. I felt yeah. like the way that you're talking yeah. about it falling flat. To me, I wrote down that it was um, overly directed, Oh, yeah. so you I think, think it was too heavy-handed. Yes. Uh-huh. I don't know that it was overly directed as much as it is that there's not that much to do when all you need is people talking. And yeah. like the performances are so incredible. Mm-hmm. But they're so incredible in this very stagey way that I feel like you can't escape. Yes. Whereas I was thinking about like 
Joe versus the volcano, which is also a John Patrick Shannon. <laughs> also, movie. Jo- right, but something where it's intensely visual, but it still has these like monologues that are very theatrical, but they happen in a way where like you're also just swept up in the majesty, the majesty, the majesty of the scene. Yes. This is something where it's like people talking in an office, people talking at a table, people talking in a yard, people, people talking, talking a at a pulpit. Yeah, yeah, at a pulpit. And Joe I like don't I, the performance is wonderful. They're all really incredible. They all like yeah, they're all. I mean, like that's the thing that I think it's like I, I have my issues with Meryl Streep after like nineteen ninety nine. I was surprised you weren't going to lead with that. Just be like, let your Meryl uh, Streep yeah, hate out. Yeah, but she's really good in this. Yeah, and she she's, is. She's she. I think she's a little overwrought, but I think that is because of the theatricality of, like, it's not my favorite Amy Adams performance in that it's like the least subtle Amy mm-hmm. Adams performance mm-hmm. where she's very like, hi. But I feel like that's true <laughs> for everyone in the movie except for maybe Viola Davis, who's very like, yeah, it's like very together. So let's talk a little bit about the the this what what was the stuff that you felt like was added for the film that wasn't there besides obviously like the locations and the the shifts that was wait sorry that was, that was added? That, like clearly that's like was well was I put also in I mean I also film. felt at times it was kind of stagey but then I also kind of gave it the benefit of the doubt of those like moments where clearly it attempts to make use of like the exteriors and like the exterior shots mm. so I felt like it did do a decent job for example of like that one scene that's kind of somewhat pivotal to her case where she's like oh I saw you um, I saw the young boy like take his hand, hand away from you or his arm do away from you. Do we see that in the film? Yeah. Yeah, we do see it. Yeah, that's right. It's towards the beginning, right? It's probably 15, yes. 20, yeah. 20 minutes. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's and then right. there is also that one shot too where you see him put the um, shirt into the locker, into the boy's locker, and Amy Adams sees him do it and they yeah. kind of exchange a look. So I, do, I, did felt like, I did feel like there were moments where it does try to kind of get out of its kind of um, yes. staginess, as mm-hmm. you put it. So those kind of moments for me were successful, but also I just felt like it was so like I did enjoy the fact that it was a chamber piece, and I did enjoy the fact that it felt so claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I always have one of these moments too when I see a film like this that I know is based on a play, and I think to myself, well, shit, like do I would I be giving it the benefit of a, of, of the doubt for its the benefit stage of the what? A, oh oh, I did the not benefit of the what? Did not do that on purpose. The benefit of the what? Benefit of the, the faith. If I didn't know it was a play. Sorry, everybody. But I also want to say, just like Joe versus the Volcano, very much a film about faith. Yeah. I haven't seen Joe versus the Volcano. Oh, so you do you guys follow and... John Patrick Shanley on Twitter? I do not. I yeah. do. Oh, you do. He's, yeah. Hilarious. He has quite... No, he's... I mean, he's, it's just like incredibly earnest, sometimes bordering on schmaltz. <laughs> and sometimes you're like, are you fucking with me, John Patrick Shanley? I don't think he is. No, I don't think he is either. But <laughs> I, I have that is a pure like, person. He probably is. Um... I'm thinking, and I want to get your take on this because of the, the, there's the scene, well, both of your takes, but there's the scene at dinner with the nuns. Mm -hmm. There's the first one that I was like, I really appreciate what this scene is doing in that you see sort of Meryl Streep help the Alice from Ghostbusters find her. This is the second movie in a row that Alice from Ghostbusters has been in that we've (laughs) talked about. She helps her find her fork and then she sees Amy Adams like, pull out the the gristle the gristle of the meat and i was like this is a great scene and then it goes on and on it felt like every attempt to sort of open it up Mm -hmm. went like he really was just like do you guys get it's a movie it's not a play (laughs) (laughs) because i tweeted about this as soon as i started i was like oh my god thank god this is only an hour and 40 minutes 
Yeah. And maybe, and maybe it's because I saw it in two different uh, sittings that it felt like it was very short. But it felt, again, like really kind of compact and tight. So like these moments that you're talking about of like, oh, it feels like it's like really long and overwrought. I was like, well, it, it, but the cat scene, I fucking hated. Yes, that was that really kind of mm-hmm. like hit you over the head. But I was like, I don't know. It just felt really just kind of compact and just well, like it felt like a play. In that sense, it was mm-hmm. like it felt like a play, like in the best mm-hmm. possible way. Well, it's a one act play. Yeah. yeah. 90, it feels 90, like a one act intermission. Did yeah. you, there's a quote from him being like, the second act is you going out and discussing I, it I've with read the people that. you oh, saw the play brother. with. And you're like, oh, what a theater <laughs> thing to say. Um, so yeah I feel like that moment like there's all these really noble attempts to open it up but most of them make you remind you that you're watching a play Mm -hmm. which you also seem to like you were yeah I think I was very I don't know that I was so conscious of it when I saw it when I was like 17 but I do remember especially from this viewing just like how into their close-ups they are in mm-hmm. a way they're like, it's a movie. You can see his fingernails. It's a movie. You can look at this one little object forever because it's a movie. Like, Whereas, the, like the dancing doll thing. Yeah. Or the Bible. Yeah. The flowers in the Bible. Yeah. That you just like the really, really harping on these close-ups in a way where I was like, they don't really have that much significance other than it's like a flexibility of the form that you yes. want to take advantage of. It's so a people flex. Yeah. Of the form. Yeah. That is, and it's the other thing that I struggled with watching it is is deciding because it's so dialogue driven. Like everything is revealed through dialogue. Like mm-hmm. you make the point of like you see her pull. He pulls. He puts the shirt in the locker, or you see him like hug the little boy. But then later on, she'll be like, "I saw you," and you're like, "Yeah, we know that." <laughs> you saw. Like I don't know how you address that stuff. I don't know. But that's. I mean, but uh, to be fair, isn't that also a kind of the idea of like that kind of direct claim being maybe kind of um, not something that a nun would say to like a priest, yeah. you know, like 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 an accusatory kind okay. of way, like, hey, yeah. I saw you. Yeah. And I think that's where also this film like does say interesting things potentially about gender, where clearly there's like a gender dynamic here. Yeah. Like, this, like the scenes where he's always like sitting in her chair mm-hmm. are really Those kind are of interesting. Yeah. And it's not really, they don't speak about it or say anything about it. So for those of you who haven't seen it, what happens is when yeah, um, yeah I'm uh, thinking I'm working yeah, yeah. When, when Philip Seymour Hoffman goes into Meryl Streep's office, uh, he sits in her chair just kind of uninvited and just does it like plops in, and it's just kind of like those interesting moments too where there are these like gender politics at play, and so the idea of like I saw you yeah it sounds kind of silly because well we saw you yeah. see how him. did you guys react to that watching it. What the gender politics? Or him, or? No, the specifically, <laughs> specifically yeah. the moment of him sitting down. See, that's I mean, so she's the principal of the school, but he has the power, and right. so I think that that's also like that's what got me this time. And I can get into like so much of why I was like weeping really, really hard at the end of this movie, mm-hmm. but not for the reason that I was so unsettled by it the first time I saw it, which just comes with like age and the experience of mm-hmm. being a woman and understanding power dynamics in mm-hmm. a different way. But like when that happened, I was just like motherfucker, yeah. and like and it is such a it's such a power move from the beginning, and you like it's it's seeding how it's going to turn out. Mm-hmm. Now like. That's her chair. That's her office. This is her purview. She's in charge and he can still take her chair and relegate her to the side and Mm -hmm. just like take all of that power away. 
because of his position. And I think that that's what, what stands out to me about the dinner scene with the nuns is that it goes on forever and it's so joyless so that when you watch the like carnality of the mm. priests together yeah. where they're like, like eating. Movie for yeah. 45 seconds. Yeah. That it's like, I mean, it, like it's basically good fellas except there's <laughs> no women there, but they're just like eating steak and like, like yucking it up. And drinking whiskey. Well, and the yeah. Yeah. Fun of, of the making fun yeah. of the, uh, one of the, the, children's mom right they're like saying like oh she's fat Sorry about someone yeah. Being fat. yeah and he, yeah. and the one priest says to father Flynn's like oh you're wicked right which is right, also right, like right. A kind of like important i think moment because mm-hmm. obviously it, su- it does suggest that in fact he is wicked potentially that's true and i think that like so i want to I, I think a huge part of talking about the that those scenes where he sits down is to talk about philip seymour hoffman's performance in this yeah. movie which is like core to the thing but also as someone that grew up going to church, uh, not every Sunday, but most Sundays mm-hmm. until I was confirmed at the age of 14 and then never going to church except for I was a priester, So I'd go mm-hmm. at Christmas and Easter. <laughs> What's the term? Priester. Yeah, priester Christian. You've never heard of a priester? Never heard of a priester. We were Christian. not priesters. We went every Sunday. Uh-huh. Um, then why were you allowed to be a priester Christian? Because you had been like confirmed in the eyes of the Lord. And it was so here's the deal. My mother, uh, my parents are both from South Boston. Mm-hmm. My uh, mother went to church every su- Irish Catholics. My father was an altar boy mm-hmm. from 19 from he would serve three masses on Saturday and four masses on Sunday. It was basically a full-time job. Damn. Mm-hmm. So, so watching this film, I had this moment of like, like I, I had this moment where I was like, fuck, I just grew up accepting this stuff. Like, mm-hmm. and I, and it's not that mm-hmm. I, it's not that when I, now that I'm grown up, I sit and reflect on the like really fucked up power dynamics of the Catholic church, but like to sort of see it realized on, mm-hmm. in this film made me go like, <gasps> It's just it's so easy to accept this stuff when yeah. you're raised in it. That's when I saw it in 2003 and I was like old enough to be at the movies as my mom's peer and like just the two of us going. And so my mom is Jewish. My dad is Irish Catholic. Um, I was raised Jewish, but my dad was the only one of his siblings who didn't convert. Right. Um, and so when my grandparents like we were Christian Christians and also whenever we were at my grandparents or if they came to visit us. So I like went to mass a fair amount mm-hmm. for a like Jewish child. Right. Um, and we didn't, it was not optional that like whenever they were going, my dad wouldn't go by himself necessarily, but if they were in town or if we were in town with them, like we always went. Um, and my grandmother, <laughs> my grandmother, when she was like suffering from really advanced dementia at us before she was in a memory unit, she would like sneak out to church Whoa. and my wow. dad had to be like, listen, this is the Catholic channel. The <laughs> church is coming into yeah. your room because she was too frail to like walk down the aisle. It was yeah. like a yeah. big church with a long aisle. And so he was worried she was going to hurt herself because no one was keeping track of whether or not she had permission to like sneak out. Yeah. But so like her last acts of rebellion were like trying to go to mass. But so I have a, I have a different perspective than you do yeah. because I had the distance of like I'm always here as a spectator. Right. I'm always here with a great deal of respect and a lot of understanding mm-hmm. of the tradition. And I can like do the call and response right. because I've been around it, but it's never been my faith. But my, when my mom, when the movie ended, my mom just turned to me and goes, don't think your dad should see this one. Ooh. But then later in life, we discussed it, not because of doubt, but she talked about it and she was like, he 
has sworn up and down that nothing happened. And Mm. he said, I would tell you if something did. And I don't know about my brothers because he was having a really, really hard time as a Catholic person Mm -hmm. dealing with what was happening in the church and feeling complicit in some way. But he's like, but it wasn't my experience. And I'd tell you if it was my experience and I don't believe that it wasn't someone else's, but it just wasn't mine. And so I like, yeah, I have just been raised not to question the church and my experience doesn't lead me to question the church. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's uh, one of the a film that I thought about whilst watching this, which was is Spotlight. Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. It's a movie that mm-hmm. I, I love. I love the investigative kind of like procedural element of it. I think that's really great. But the scene that I think people forget about a lot is the scene where Rachel McAdams like gives the um, newspaper, the article to her grandmother mm-hmm. and her grandmother, who's like goes to church every Sunday or probably went to church every day because there, there are Irish Catholics that do that in Boston. I mean, everywhere, but it's Boston. Uh, there's like a scene where she's reading it and she goes, she asks, she's like, can I have a drink of water? And you're like, she says that to her. Like, she's like, sure, grandma. And she goes and gets it. And I'm like, that's like every aunt or uncle in my family reading that thing in 1990, yeah. whatever. And I remember when that film came, my mom was like, I don't want to see it. I don't need to see it. Like, I know. Yeah. I know. When Spotlight yeah. came out. Yeah. yeah. She was like, cause I was like, I saw Spotlight. It's amazing. And she was like, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to, I don't think I'm going to watch yeah. that. I'm not going to go see that in the theater. And I was like, oh, you should. She was like, I don't need to. Yeah. I know what it is. And mm-hmm. you're just like, uh, because these are people that's like, whose lives are really affected by it. So to bring it back to the movie, I think that one of the most amazing things about the movie is it like contextualizes this stuff in a present tense that makes it a lot more powerful than it, than even Spotlight is able to make it, which mm-hmm. is a, it, like, that's all memory or looking back. Whereas mm-hmm. this is like, this shit happened all the time. These guys just got moved around. Yeah. That's yes. that's what really really fucked me up this time, right? And I think that that's also that I was I was younger. I had not been at, I like understood that this was true about the church, but hadn't been exposed to it. Mm-hmm. But also like now I've seen the keepers, I've seen like Spotlight, mm-hmm. I've seen all of this. I've interacted with a lot more people who have and a lot more abuse. And I think that that's also what stood out to me about Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance especially in the context of this year watching um leaving neverland and watching like pedophile grooming behaviors and sort of that like watching him as a predator yeah which is just it's a brilliant performance and like really really chilling but (laughs) what hit me about this is like not only did he get moved he got promoted promoted and the idea that it's like you have to ask a nun to get the truth and the minute that she says that he immediately knows that like the jig is up yeah i spent most of the movie being like he didn't do anything like and i really think that's a byproduct of like wanting to trust these guys because like we had a, a, a a priest at my church that like my mother venerated like would still probably be like he was the best guy in the world. And like that might entirely be true, but the whole mm-hmm. thing is obviously like profoundly tainted by. So I spent most of the movie being like, ah, Meryl, like I really felt this way. And then I questioned it. I was like, eh, Meryl Streep's wrong. Sister Aloysius is wrong. This guy's great. And then I had to reckon with that a little bit because I was like, that's really, and that's like a, I think it's a legitimate reaction to the movie when you're raised in it a mm-hmm. little bit mm-hmm. to be like, no, he's fine. He just likes the kid. Wait, but the mounting on. circumstantial... I'm not saying it's the right reaction, but it's like the inherent cultural reaction. That no, I but had. I mean, we did, did you either like walk away thinking like he did or he didn't do it? Because obviously, like I walked away thinking, well, like well, clearly it's supposed it's supposed to end on complete and utter uh, uncertainty. Of course, yeah. but you want to figure it out for yourself, right? Like that's a that's a human 
tendency is to want yeah, to know. Yeah, but you, I, when it was when it was done for me, I was like, well, okay, so like, and obviously we could talk about it in more detail. But when the film finished, I there's more than one way to t- um, nope take. There's no ambiguity in art. Move on, move there, on, George. That there's two possible ways to think about Meryl Streep's final words, where she says, "I have doubts. I have doubts." Is obviously I have doubts about whether or not he did or didn't do it, mm. or whether or not she has doubts. The way I read it is like, okay, now she has doubts about her own faith. So like for yeah. me, it was more about there's the a absence third of God. Way to read it, that it's about like, well, this like there's always uncertainty in the Boogie Down Bronx. Yes, of course, everybody <laughs> knows that. That's just da- that's just daily living in the Boogie it, Down Bronx, which I think is the most problematic way to read it. The film opens with a sermon about doubt. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that, it's like, so her intro- the introduction of her character I found to be totally absurd. Like this, like boogie woman who's like walking <laughs> down the, you know, like get your that. Kind. I was like, oh god. And also, admittedly, I have a Meryl Streep thing, yeah. but I also think that I was just like, oh god, here we go. Meryl's gonna just, and she didn't, she didn't. But there's a third way to read it, which is uh, the idea that in that opening sermon he is provocative about doubt in a way that she can't comprehend it. And she's mm-hmm. threatened by that. And the threatening of, of that is what leads her to, to lead this from a certain perspective charge against him, which again is just like, that was my reaction to th- So the last line of the movie is her saying, I still have doubts when she starts crying. Right. Yeah. And so I read that as like, is this, does she have doubts about her faith? Does she have doubts about what she's done or does she have doubts about, is 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 this telling me that she's had some kind of visceral reaction to this guy's way of treating the church, which he thinks the church needs to evolve, it needs to change? So right, is it like yeah. is she threatened by what he's bringing to the church? Does that make sense? Yeah, sort of like is she um, does she have doubts about her like methodology of Catholicism yes. as opposed to like doubting? God. I think it's about the methodologies of Catholicism, and that's what she has doubt about. Because I ultimately huh. think that's kind of what the movie's about a little mm. bit. It's a changing... 1960s brought, like, it's a totally different... It's the church had to... I mean, this is Vatican II. I don't know how up you guys are on this. <laughs> uh, but, like, that's a big... Like, the joke is the Mel Gibson families. They were like... Mel Gibson's family was like, we refuse to recognize Vatican II, yeah. and I believe that was, like, early 60s, kind of mm-hmm. like a shift in the uh-huh. church. Yeah. So. Yeah, I just don't know anything about that history. Why not? Because I'm, I'm just a historian in the Boogie Down Bronx. That's <laughs> yeah. um, anyway. But I don't, yeah, no. I mean, I think that some of, when I watched it the first time, when I was like a younger, fresher Daisy, I was also, I think I had a more um, like complicated view and the end really played into that and I wasn't sure. And with this, I was like, 100% he touched that kid. Mm-hmm. This is a thing that happens. Mm-hmm. And it Meryl Streep is doubting whether time, yeah. she has ever successfully protected anyone from anything in a Ooh. patriarchal society where she is largely going to be ineffective. And it's sort of one of those things where it's like everything... I sort of saw her as something like, everything I do, even if it's not nice, is to like protect and serve the youth so that they grow up to be like good, yes, like moral young people mm-hmm. and young adults and like shape the country. And she can't do anything about it because everyone who's harming them just gets a like a higher throne. Right. And so it's sort of like, what's the point of any of this? And that's also sort of how I read um, Amy Adams saying, I saw you mm-hmm. um, that it's, both it's like outrageous that she would say that out loud, but she also has to say it to convince herself that like she has to mm, say it out loud yeah. because 
if she doesn't, then it's very easy to make it not real, which is what she desperately, desperately wants. And like what she immediately goes into in kind of like a shrill way at the end of the scene, which is like, this is fine. He said, it's fine. We're just going to pretend it's fine. Yeah. Which is also saying like, it's not fine. And so for me, the whole movie, I was just like predator, this dude, like I'm 100% sure. I think in like the first scene where he's like giving him a toy and sort of like playing with the outsider that didn't, read as anything mm-hmm. more than kindness to me and then like beyond that a hundred percent and it's all just grooming well it's interesting and i think it's, it's so it's one, one thing that i think that's really powerful about the movie is the fact that as a woman in a patriarchal society like and also a hyper specific hyper local patriarchal society yeah like to compromise your values as a woman is to move further away from god which is probably the most devastating thing for that character is that she has to move away from god yeah because he basically says that you do like and she says that you do yeah she says that you do whereas the men are all allowed to just like get better jobs working for God, essentially. Like that was the most devastating thing to me to watching it. But I think that this also speaks to like breaking it down, which is like, this might be, it's not the flashiest, but there's so much complexity to Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance. Yeah. Yeah. Because he, I find him immensely likable in general. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's just like, like we do a podcast about him. It's because it's, he's likable and he exudes this kind of like, and this is really interesting to think about retroactively in terms of like the really valuable sort of work that's going on in terms of revealing what these guys were like, but also just patriarchal bullshit, nice guy stuff in general is that you watch him and you go like, yeah, like I want to listen to that guy's sermon. I want to be around that guy. And they do a nice job of placing you in the position of understanding how he relates to the young boy. Mm -hmm. Like there's the scene where he's gets challenged uh, there's a scene where, where she first accuses him and then there's a moment where the the boy, uh, his, his books get knocked out of his hands by some shitty kid who's an, uh, who's the one who pulls away from Philip Seymour Hoffman who he probably also touched. Mm-hmm. Or tried, but or he tried was more enfranchised and empowered. Yes, yes. So he's not as easily a victim because his parents are white and could be louder. Right, and then the moment before that happens, Phil Hoff, uh, Father Flynn looks at the kid and then looks away, and it's like it's so powerful because like does he look away because he doesn't want to be seen with this kid because he's worried about his reputation or because he's like fuck they're on. But then he hugs him. But then he hugs yeah. him and he Comes not only hugs him he like just might kiss him on the forehead. Yeah, like, he like yeah. brings him into his chest. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like there, there's so much space in the performance for you to put your own. Well, he's so convincing when he's, he's arguing so and he's kind of saying like, I'm innocent. Like, what are you doing to me? You're destroying my reputation. It comes across as being so. Yeah, he's just kind of. To- he's, he, it, it sounds like what an innocent man would sound like. What is an innocent man? What does innocent like sound like? Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, in doubt. It. Damn it. But I think one of the interesting things, though, that you're both bringing up is is what to make. So one of the things that I kept thinking about with the backdrop of everything we know about how fucked up all these priests have been and the Catholic church and covering all this up, thinking about like what the purpose of this film even is, if it's trying to, let's say cast doubt, there it goes again on this, on so whether or not this or that does not happen. Because again, there's very things like we know it happened. We know it mm-hmm. happened all the time and all these people were promoted. So then are you supposed to again, just be like, Oh yeah, actually, yes. Yeah, Sister Aloysius was totally right. He was grooming this child. All that creepy shit about like the fingernails, all that stuff is about 
again, this kind of process of grooming the child. And he, in fact, is a pedophile. So part of me was, and I don't have an answer to this, but part of me was just kind of th- constantly thinking of like, well, what's the point of, let's say, even having us question whether or not he did or did not if we know there's this huge history of priests in the Catholic Church, in fact, doing this? Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's like almost a numbers thing in a well, way? It was, it, was, it was just kind of funny because thinking even about the title where it's changed to like Doubt a Parable and one of the other things I kept thinking about while I was watching this was um, Arthur Miller's Crucible which is clearly an allegory for McCarthyism. Mm-hmm. And to kind of think about how this, though, isn't at all allegorical because it, like, right... It's not like even the, a parable. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that, it's a, it's a that's my point. Name. It's not even a parable. <laughs> Doubt, it's not even a parable. <laughs> Doubt, too, not, not a parable. A parable. <laughs> which, again, I think is... All, but maybe possibly what redeems it in that kind of context is, is again, the ending, which to me is like, well, then the film is really more about, like, the potential absence of God. Than it is even about this particular like did he or did he not, or I does the Catholic think Church? I don't really figures into it. Oh, I, like I well for me, I had to kind of bring that in because otherwise, then it was like again this really just heavy handed, not at all allegorical, not at all a parable. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So I, I f- there's a few people in the sort of the theater world that I know that find this movie pretty repugnant. Because if it's using the mol- molestation of children as a way to a, to get at a parable, that's exactly. really problematic. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, if you want a movie about absence of God, like I got a movie for you. It's called Silence, and it came out two years ago, and no one saw it. I me. saw it as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I say and it's, I think it's an um, uh, that's also a absent God movie. Yeah. Um, but uh, I thought it was amazing, and it's the best one of the best films about the absence of God imaginable. So it doesn't fit. This movie is too realistic or too stuck in like a specific moment, yeah, for that to feel appropriate. Right. So I'm glad they got rid of a parable for the title of the yeah. film. Also, hard to sell anything with a colon. Yeah, no, totally. Think about movies that have have a like break in their title, like Perfume, a something. Oh, I love that, Perfume. That a, a What's the other half of Perfume? Was that a, uh, a love story love or something yeah. like that? Perfume. Maybe they should have gone Doubt, a parable about the Boogie Down Bronx. That would have worked. <laughs> I, Boogie I Down, a parable about <laughs> Doubt. Oh, even better. Ooh. Uh, Mission Impossible films have a colon in them. So yeah. yeah. Do the uh, I guess the Fast and the Furious movies do not. I've never. I don't know. I've never seen Fast and the Furious really? written in text. Oh. I've only seen the first one. Wasn't it Hobbs colon Shaw? Hobbs colon Shaw. <laughs> I guess not. I can't wait um, to see that movie. But I'm so... <laughs> <laughs> I'm very serious. Uh, Vanessa Kirby's in it. She's in Mission Impossible Fallout. I celebrate all the work Some of, of all my the favorite wrestlers are in it. <laughs> really? Because they're Native Hawaiian Pacific Islanders. Oh, yeah. Jason I, Statham. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Close. Yeah. Am I wrong? Yeah. Is there a, a different bit. guy? Um, yeah, I feel like that's also really one of the things that's mo- really powerful about this movie is the moment when she says, like, oh, I talked to a. Uh, so, what did you think of the end when she says, I is lying, I didn't talk to a nun? What's well, the reaction to that? Oh, it confirms 100% his yeah, guilt. That's the most yeah. like obvious. Um, evidence that in fact he's guilty. So yeah. again, dealing with my own out. inherent born problematic Catholicism, I was like, she didn't actually, t-. like I got outraged for a second and then, <laughs> wow. really, but then had to really go like, no idiot. That confirms that she's right. Like it's from the moment he goes like, wait, and she comes back into the room. I remember being like, mm-hmm. no, no, no. Like I really didn't want this guy to have done it. Yeah. Yeah. Which I know 
that's like wish to, to be frank that's pretty much wishful thinking but it's just like that was sort of the grip of the movie that i was in that i spent some part of the movie being like <laughs> i spent some part of the movie thinking like she was the bad guy i well, really no, did because, yeah. no, because i think obviously but the thing the film invites you to do that of course mm. there are moments where you're like oh my god she is kind of like being, especially also okay I think the scene with Viola Davis is also important want to talk about this because scene, there yeah. are where Viola Davis basically says like you realize you're totally potentially fucking my, my child's of chances of getting into a good high school and then getting into a good college yeah mm-hmm. so if your pursuit of this if you're wrong is also going to totally destroy my child's future it's really good and, conflict yeah and that's one yeah. of those moments where you're kind of like well if she's wrong and obviously the film suggests that she might be wrong then she's totally doing something that's totally going to destroy this kid's future. So, yeah, you're like, she's the bad guy. I mean, I don't think you end with thinking that she's the bad guy, but there are moments in which you're like, yeah, she's the bad guy. Yeah, I, I think that's super intentional. And I will say, say that, like, that's what I love about Philip Seymour Hoffman, that I, I, I've been, like, in love with him from before I can remember. He's one of my favorites. I was devastated when he died. Yeah. I, and I always, like, I'm, like, just deeply, like, I had the biggest crush. And always. And I'm, like, oh, no, you're kind of a skeevy bad guy. It's fine. I still love you. <laughs> yeah, he's and, so And, like, he's lovable. such a great bad guy because he's so lovable and he's so unassuming. And in this, I just watch, and it's, like, it's part of the predatory behavior, but just watching him be so boyish. Yes. And watching him be yeah. so Showing like him to shoot basketball. Yeah. 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 Well, and also the scene with Lo- the girl goes up to him and she's like, hey, I'm in love. I figured out who I'm in love with. And she's like, oh, and he's like, who? And, you know, she, you know, it's like this kind of yeah. like, you know, tender he's scene. He's very friendly yeah. and he's yeah. very sweet, you know, and that's, yeah, it's one of the things that's smart about this movie is oh, maybe that I, pro- that I doubt very much is in the, oh, in the. So we did. Very good. <laughs> I feel like you Sorry, have to have ahead. a sound Ding. effect Ding. now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Editor's note, add a sound effect when we say doubt. Also get a haircut. Um, <laughs> but there's the bit where that, that wouldn't be in the play. Like, there's no way that's in the Correct. play. Because you could imagine yeah. the play, him being like talking to a, a character off stage, yeah. being like, oh, you're in love. And it'd yeah. be atrocious. And like, Ray. a play. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell him. Or whatever her name is. Um, which is those little, those little ticks are really nice. Mm-hmm. And I think to come back to the idea of close ups, like, one thing that the movie does get right is it creates the feeling of being in a Catholic church mm-hmm. with all its airiness and all its ornateness, but everything is slightly kind of like beaten up because people are, it's a community space mm-hmm. that people are coming in and out of like the moment when he's teaching the kids basketball, the sweatshirt that he's wearing and the converse all stars <laughs> on his feet yeah. are so just like, yeah, this is what the friendly priest from the neighborhood what is doing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And he's like, as is always the case with Phil Hoffman, he looks not like a movie star. He mm-hmm. looks like the almost the antithesis of what a male movie star would look like. So you're like, I trust this guy. Like it's such a smart. And the guy who played him in the play, Brian F. O'Byrne, is this like very skinny, perpetually 50 year old looking bald guy. <laughs> so you watch him and you're like, the he would not work on the film. I think he works yeah. quite well in the play because it's a different experience mm-hmm. and he's a great actor, but you wouldn't be like, yeah, I, th- I mean, Phil Hoffman had to have been 39, 40 when he did this movie because he died. Actually, maybe younger. I'm going to look that up. M- vamp for me, guys. So running around the table. This movie was 2008. No, 2003. 2008. 
2008? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I wasn't 18 in 2008. The, I was 20. You're like, wait, what does that play, mean? The play, I think, was 2003. That's which, what I got confused Which is actually also really surprising. He was I mean, 40. I know 2004. He's 40 years old. And he looks like he's 28. He looks he's, like yeah. he's got a little baby so face. Yeah. Baby face. He's got that baby face. He's got that baby face. Um, where do you? F- we've talked about uh, previous uh, episodes of the show, Big Phil, Little Phil. Ooh. So the Big Phil would be... Well, the, well, um, we don't know which Phil it is, right? Because we, if he's innocent, then he's Can I Phil. just finish my sentence? Oh, sorry. Sorry, sir. So sorry. Big Phil would be sorry, like Mission Impossible 3, the master, <laughs> the sort of like ferocious alpha male mm-hmm. Phil, and the beta male Phil. And I feel like he leans more towards beta, beta male in yeah. general would be Boogie Nights with, as Scotty. And some maybe his part in um, Dusty Lovely's and Twister. Uh, yes, Dusty and Twister. This to me re- is a is a closet alpha male in yeah. a beta closet male's male. body. Mm-hmm. So it's somewhere smack in the middle. Yeah, I agree. That's mm-hmm. fair. Yeah, and it's and it turns that when when he's cornered, it turns. Yes, totally. How do you think this? The, there's that sort of. I would say it's sort of like there's two scenes in the film that I think are like centerpieces. One is the Meryl Streep Viola Davis scene, which I think like opens the film up in a really important and powerful way because it it's about the Bronx, it's about like New York City, it's about like I don't think the the film does a great race. job. It's, it's about, about race, but I don't think the movie fathers, does a great job of communicating. Yes, thank you. It doesn't do a great job of beyond the accents, which are all middling, mm-hmm. of, like Meryl Streep's. Bronx accent is, but it yeah. it's fine. But it seems like it's reach. It's the, it's a theater accent as opposed to a movie accent. Mm-hmm. A little bit. But it, I don't feel as situated in the Bronx as I would like to in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a it's a bad choice that there isn't at least at the beginning the Bronx, New York City, because it is a movie about the Bronx. Like it's about Catholicism. In I would general. appreciate yeah. the shot of Yankee Stadium. Of course, yeah. go Yankees! Red Sox. <laughs> but they could be listening to that on their radio, or we could like see a train. Yeah, just one yeah. train, just something. And I, I spent most of the movie being like, "Is this in Boston? Is this in?" Boston? I thought it was yeah. in Boston. Too Boston? At some Boston. Point. <laughs> <laughs> Red Sox. <laughs> Fuck you, guys. Why am I doing a New York accent for that? <laughs> You're a transplant. Yankees suck. <laughs> I am a transplant. I'm not going back, dude. I'm not going back. I'm not going back. Now I'm doing it for the rest of the episode. Hey, Phyllis Dino Hoffman, you're, you're kind of wicked. Hey. <laughs> you're kind of wicked? You're kind of wicked. What are you? What's that's wrong a, with that's you? That's what they say. Yeah, but we don't say you're kind of wicked. Hey, I'm, I might be there this be weekend. Like, hey, Phil. Phil. You're wicked. Phil up. Phil. <laughs> Phil. Phil. Hey. How's it going, kid? And when did, when did you say wicked? You're wicked cool. Yeah, there you you're go. You're wicked yeah, cool. Yeah. But then we don't say you're wicked. Doesn't yeah, of course sense. you do. No, kind of wicked. I'm going to be there this weekend. I will report you back. You going to Boston this weekend? Well, not Boston. Heaven forbid. But I will be in the Massachusetts general area. Where are you going? Uh, you don't want to say on the podcast. Do you want to talk about <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like... I mean, obviously, by the time this comes out, I'll be back. So then it's fine. But, oh, Give me right, a okay. town. Give me a Salem. <gasps> Ooh. Yeah. It's, it's that time. Are you yeah. going for witchiness? Are you going the for the witchiness? No, visit some friends. No, fucking bullshit. Yeah. All right, well, that's fucking fine. Bullshit. <laughs> fucking bullshit. And now I know that a normal coffee at Dunkin' Donuts in Massachusetts means like three sugars <laughs> and like four, 
four you know, cups it's, give me a regular you just literally say regular yeah. and they give you a milk and sugar yeah. and it's like you drink it and you're like <laughs> it's like how much fucking sugar is in this thing but so i think much. yes i think the scene with viola davis is also important because as caitlin said it opens it up to like the queerness of the young boy mm-hmm. it opens it up again to the absent father which is mm-hmm. like another resonance for me with like the absence of god where basically she says oh his father's kind of like an like an abusive asshole to him yeah um, yeah, is absent the right word? Because it's not that he's absent. No, he's, he's too present. Or maybe it's yeah, too present. But yeah. I just, and maybe I meant that in the sense of, yeah, okay. Like, obviously, patriarchy in general is always gotcha. poisonous. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, just in the sense that it's not the kind of father figure anybody wants in their lives. Right, of course. Um, Ugh, dads. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, dads. <laughs> can't, live him, can't live without him. <laughs> dads. Dads. Okay, can't therapy, 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 therapy. So I think, yeah, that scene's great. Um, red wine, red wine, red wine. <laughs> so okay for right now. But it also, do- it also does feel very much like a, you know, a, a stage production where this one character kind of appears, has right. a very short scene, but it's kind of pivotal in the entire kind of play. Then, it like, is a theatery moment. Yeah. But she's um, great in it. She's amazing. Yeah. She's tr- this was kind of the thing that got her, I feel like, got her career really going. Like, she'd been around for a while, but it wasn't like... I mean, it's a 10-minute scene, and it kind of redoes the whole film a little. Yeah. Re, re, re-centers the whole yeah. film, I suppose. And we didn't talk about it either, but obviously the racial politics of what are... Like, it's tempting to say something else about racial politics because Philip Seymour Hoffman basically says, like, without me... And like protecting this boy, he's gonna have a really difficult time making it through this school. And obviously, the implication, I think he says it directly too, is the fact that he's not white. So he's like one of the only sympathetic kind of characters or people in his life. And obviously, within that kind of particular uh, scene. And one yeah. of the really most devastating shots in the film is so that one of the things that I appreciate the movie that is both theatrical but also effective is that it's sort of centered around three different sermons, one about doubt one about gossip gossip that's right Mm -hmm. and one about leaving Mm -hmm. and there's a shot of the boy crying at the end of the film that is like truly it's really really hard to watch because it sort of makes you go like oh yeah actually the person who gets fucked here is of course this young boy yeah Yeah. um there's viola davis makes makes reference to it and it's sort of quiet but it's echoed in when um the other priest tells father flynn that he's wicked Mm -hmm. that like Basically, it's a game recognized game that she's yeah. sort of like, my kid is queer. His dad yeah. will murder him for this. And if this priest sees something in him, which is also quietly saying, like, why are some men in the priesthood? Yeah. Then, like, maybe having an ally for the one year is yeah. fine mm-hmm. until we can get him out of this space. Um, and it's so well done yeah. because it's not overstated. I mean, it's there, but it's not like you're not like. No, it's not like overly written in that moment, which is really she communicates so much, which is she does, yeah, yeah. Um, that scene, and then the the sort of the showstopper between Meryl Streep and Phil Hoffman. It's got to be what fifteen minutes in the movie's runtime. I thought that was really good. I think they're both. I can't imagine what it would be like to be like, here's your scene where you're up against the, the the American actress icon of forever. And you have to like, it's amazing how they all keep up with her. Like Mm -hmm. we haven't talked enough about how she's like a, not a monster, but she's massive in this movie. She like owns the movie in a way. And it's you, even in that moment, he's so good at making about his own conviction. He's so good at being like, so, you know, like not able to really, um, He's very good at making you feel for him. 
Mm-hmm. Is that the right way to put it? Like you, you just, it's, there's, there's always doubt. <laughs> or or you feel he's innocent. Right. And that's, yeah. And again, I'm going to keep saying like, we'll call the pastor, call the pastor. She's like, well, actually I spoke to the nun. <laughs> it's really, and it's like, oh shit. It's really impressive in that. So there's the, the one of the things that we've talked about a little bit is the way he sort of nonchalantly sits at her desk. And that's a great example of like, I love Phil Hoffman. He's kind of like, oh, I'm just going to bumble over mm-hmm. and sit down. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so expected and so so clear how he does it. And he pulls out the notepad and is like, I want to write down what you say. Yeah. That's and in that's the so yeah, yeah, yeah. acceptable. Oh, I'm just going to write down what you say. Yeah. yeah. Because when you go to whatever, he's like... Well, the first time he does it, too, there's a like, great power play where she also says to him, like, oh, and cut your, your fingernails. They're long. <laughs> yeah, after he has, like, yeah. all of the sugar that she put in her drawer for Lent and yeah. never took out again, yes. which is, like, totally mentioned to reclaim her seat yeah. in some ways. <laughs> but it's... What I what I took from this is, all like, also that he's going to write down everything she says, but the minute that he kind of breaks protocol and is alone with her, she says multiple times, there needs to be another party. Yeah, there needs to be, there needs to be another party. Right, 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 right. And I think that that's sort of what started me into my spiral of, like, this is getting a little bit too contemporary and a little bit mm-hmm. overwhelming, is just her being like, I know what's about to happen in this space, and it's only something untoward if you're, like, unwilling to follow protocol. Right. And it, it it's it's interesting how like the assumption that he can just write it down and it's fine. Where she's like, no, I need someone else to be here to hear what I have to like to to. It's yeah, I sort of didn't even think about that in the moment because but, ugh, this movie's just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this movie's something. It's something. Yeah. Um, what did you guys think of the moment where she talks about her husband dying in World War Two? Oh. It, it resonated with me, but not in any sort of like, oh, I really have to think about this. Because your husband died in World War II? Yeah, I just bring <laughs> away too many memories. It's like, oh, God, now I have to fucking process this again. No, it was just kind <sighs> of, um, yeah, I mean, why did it, why well, did it stick out for you? I like, well, the idea that it you had stuck this out life to me before. because it, it felt theatrical. In Ooh. the sense that it's an uh, the one it thing cut, that that's right. It didn't cut to the beaches that, of Normandy. One thing you see that Tom Hanks, John Patrick. Sh- oh my God! Not a big enough budget. Yeah. Earn this. <laughs> I they just repurpose uh, B-roll from yeah. Saving Private Ryan. Um, no, Spielberg because has I a think suit. that's one of the moments in the film where maybe you just show her with a photo of him, or maybe there's she has his dog tags, or maybe there's something that that could reveal that. What? <laughs> or just imagine her like pulling out his dog tags. <laughs> <Throwing them. laughs> <laughs> he died in the beaches of Normandy for whatever, you. Whatever it is, the ability to do that without it being overly stated. But one of the, my favorite moments in the movie is when she's caught listening to the kids' radio. Mm-hmm. I uh, love it. It's so endearing that she's like, I was just listening to the news. I love Mass the, media is great. I love yeah. the picture with the Pope or the, uh, the scene with the picture of the Pope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or I think she puts it up and she's like, it and he's like, which pope? that's not even the right Pope. And she's like, it doesn't matter which Pope it is. It's a reflective <laughs> it's like, surface. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I just love the idea, like it doesn't matter which Pope it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, well, it's also, it's also an interesting moment that speaks to like the way that like, have you, if you've ever been on a military base, basically any, all the time, fr- all the time. Well, I was a part of that, uh, when I raided uh, area 51 last week. We saw the aliens. It was amazing. Did I tell you about that? I was doing that. Did yeah. you? Oh, Instagram stories. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. I listened to a episode of Reply All today about that. They there talked about it. Anyway, I was if there. you go to a military base, that uh, that there's always a picture of the current president. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. Well, not. <laughs> I haven't been in one since. And, and the airport too. Since yeah. Shithead took 
office. I, the last one. I, but uh, how all of these spaces have to have like the devote the picture of the guy who's in mm-hmm. charge in them. It's just a very, it's like a nice again like a nice touch that the movie is. I didn't go to Catholic school. My parents did, but it all feels very rooted in in a kind of reality. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I would I would wonder with Vatican II whether an old pope would be something they were interested in keeping around. I think I made mm-hmm. a TV show um, in Newark in the mayor's office and it was when Cory Booker was the mayor and you would walk down through some of the administrative offices and they would all have just like photos of Sharp James who Mm -hmm. was like the super corrupt predecessor and it's something where it's like they're there a little bit as a signal to Cory Booker about who like who they give their respect to because he has to walk by them every day right? and that's the same I don't know I mean this is something where it's like now they just this is a glass surface but I just thought that was a really nice touch. Vatican II sort of like started its trend up. I looked this up in 1959. Okay. So, and was sort of like mainly, and again, I can't really parse it out, but I know my understanding of it is that hardcore Catholics would have been like, the, I don't recognize this. Mm-hmm. So you have someone like, and we haven't really talked about her, but Amy Adams character, who's kind of stuck between a sort of old school fire and brimstone church and a new sort yeah. of more progressive church. And you have Meryl Streep, who's firmly sort of classically fire and brimstone and this sort of guise of Father Flynn as the kind of like, no, we have to reform. We have to be part of the community. We have to be open. We have to teach these kids basketball. We have to, like, you know, talk to the girls about boys that they have crushes on. Like, the idea of a priest having a conversation like that is crazy to me. Yeah. Even now. So it's just, it's it's an interesting thing to think about in terms of, like, the movie doesn't hint at that stuff because it keeps it contained to the characters, but there's a lot going on. In, in, there's a lot going yeah. on right. in Catholicism. But there's an interesting, like, the age of Meryl Streep, and this is why I liked learning the, like, details about her husband, mm. is that this is a person who is a functioning adult who is probably employable, who made a choice to take yeah, the cloth. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she had a life before that, as opposed to Amy Adams, who is, like, a young novitiate. And yeah. who is someone who like, this is her first job. This is the world that she knows. She probably right. went to high school and yeah. then became a nun. So she's really signing on for the church in a totally different way than Meryl Streep. Right. And has like different illusions and disillusions about it. Whereas Meryl's like, well, no, I joined this because I liked the old way. And because I like couldn't mm. imagine my life going forward in a secular space. And now you guys are trying to make this like, more comfy for secular people. Mm-hmm. Whereas Amy Adams is entering the church where it's like, we're kind of like, it's fine for us to see the snowman. Like it's all going to be okay. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. and so just the two of them together, like how wide eyed Amy Adams is as a young nun who is also like, believes the best in like being charming with her students. Yeah. yeah. Whereas Meryl is like, nah, everyone has to pay attention because that's how you like get through life. Yeah. Right, 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 right. But right, that right. it was her choice. That it isn't. It isn't that she's like a salty, like fifty-year, like veteran nun. Yes. That she came in. That like she like really, really made a commitment when she had other <sighs> options. Maybe that's kind of the revelation that I don't think occurred to me. Watch because she feels like a forever nun at the beginning of the movie. You're and like, that's oh. why they have to. That's why they can't just show you a picture. They have to have her talk about. You're right. The moment when she like, mm-hmm. w- also the moment when like God probably felt the most absent in her life, where she like moved towards God. Yeah, that's a really good point. Latecomers wow. are usually often more zealous too. Say that again. Latecomers, yeah, like are usually more 
zealous. Yeah, it's like people that convert for their yeah. partners yeah. are like way no way more than the than the partners usually yeah. do. Mm-hmm. Quick question, by the way, as somebody who's not Catholic, was Vatican II the rare sequel that was as good as the original? <laughs> ask Mel Gibson. Huh? Well, I will definitely not ask Mel Gibson. <laughs> He'll call you sugar tits. <laughs> um. Well, I feel like we've really gotten somewhere here. Yeah, I think we've solved all the problems of the Catholic all Church. The pro- I still have my doubts. Oh, God. <laughs> I have my doubts. Uh, ooh, chips. Um, <laughs> and Caitlin, do you have anything that you would like to promote, tell us about, that we should know about? Well, like, what was the name of this series that you said you just referenced? It's called Doubts. <laughs> The oh, Cory Booker thing. Oh, the show you that don't I have made to in. Mention it, well, no, I made it in 2010. Uh, so I want to hear. If you want to see, uh, if you want to see our future president yeah. Cory Booker in action, <laughs> um, the show was called Brick City. We did two seasons of it. I only worked on the first one. Uh-huh. Um, Brick City. Brick City. Okay. It was. I was very proud of that show. That's cool. Yeah, I got to hang out in Newark a whole bunch. And what are you working on now? Um. I'm making a movie about the Church of Satan, Ooh, and as just, a nice, as a nice, uh, like yeah. topper to our our Catholicism yeah. episode, I'm making an experimental uh, nonfiction film about the Church of Satan, and I also, for my job job, um, I do pitches, pitch based um, short documentary programs where we fund short films um, and also give them a bunch of mentorship, and we're doing two, one in. Amsterdam for global Ooh, climate nice. crisis uh, stories. Yeah. And so what I'm doing right now is reading like dozens of regionally based climate crisis oh, stories, um, <laughs> which is actually like kind of nice to see who in the world is talking about like what's happening in their community and yeah. in their how backyard, many English yeah. people are flying to other places in the world to talk about Whoa. what's happening in their community. But it, yeah, no, it's going to be cool. So it's something where like I don't get to leave to go to the March, but hopefully... In a couple of months, we'll yeah. have put our money where our mouth is in terms of some sort of activism. With Are applications for that still open? Or no. Is it cl- oh, okay. No. You no, guys no, is, I'm not working out. on it. I'm like, I made a TV show in 2010. <laughs> I have this thing that no one can apply <laughs> to. No. Yeah. What's your website? What's my website? Yeah. My website is my name, CaitlinMayBurke.com. So then people can oh. see And we'll, pu- we'll put it up on the, uh, the metadata for the episode. Ooh, metadata. Yeah. Listen Ooh. to George. Yeah. Listen, to, listen to the English professor yeah. talking metadata. <laughs> Todd's podcasting. I feel like that was a little rude. I'm sorry. I was it's just kidding. It wasn't um, rude at all. Oh, I don't Asshole. know. When is this going to go up? I can promote other men need help. I should probably oh, well, do that. We'll it tweet at you. It goes live in two weeks. So what? Two weeks from yesterday. October. Before your event on the 8th. October Okay, so can I get... Nice. Can you yeah. edit this so that I can... Uh, well, we might leave all this in because it's honest. But yeah, I think you're good. Let me just double check the date one more time. But that event is in October. Yeah, yeah. You're, this will go. Oh, shit. October this 9th. will go live October 9th. No. Yeah. No. Can we maybe put it up a day early? Listen. I mean, I know that. I'm the one that edits. This. <laughs> I know that really. Get on um, it, Liam. Well, do it tonight. Do it tonight. Okay. I'll go. We could probably drop it a little early. Yeah. Okay. Give us the pitch. Or like if it's running late, I'll just give you the pitch and then you can put give it in the in the pitch. editing. Yes. Um, I produce a podcast. We ran out of tape. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <'cause> <laughs> I have <laughs> one in I my even, pocket. I have a tape recorder yeah. attached to this. <laughs> this is a podcast house. We have a whole other Zoom <laughs> in the other <laughs> room. Yeah, you guys saw I'm that. also <laughs> trying to run this out so that Mark will come home like Three's Company and get to be a special guest star <laughs> on this episode. <laughs> uh, so previous guest of the show, friend of the show, Mark Pagan, uh, 
produces a podcast called Other Men Need Help, which he has discussed a lot. And I am also a part of that team. We're doing a live show on October 8th at Caveat um, with some like very special guests um, and a lot of funny people. And probably Mark makes these candles of like male icons. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you can get a special treat for coming. Also, I believe it's October 18th. When? Yes, October 18th. You guys are doing a live episode. That's true. At Brick. Yeah. We're gonna we're doing an event where we'll do an episode of the show live with live music and then also sort of talk about the process of making the episodes. Awesome. Yes. It's a great podcast. Thank you. It's a great podcast. Thanks. And this is a great podcast. Aww, and I'm thanks. Liam Billingham. I was George Fragopoulos. I'm new to the show, <laughs> Caitlin Mayfair. New to the show. And this was. Do you want to say it, Caitlin? Sure. Uber Busters. Yeah. Yes. We did it. We survived. I still have my doubts. <laughs> well, well, first of all, let me say what I really love about this film is that it ends at a place of complete and utter conviction. You know who the good guy is. You know who the bad guy totally. is. Totally. And it's all tied up with a really nice bow. I'd so, also like to say it's good that we finally have a film that has no politics for you to exactly. discuss. Exactly. <laughs> so...